0: واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وسلم يا ايها الذين امنوا تقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن الا وانتم مسلمون يا ايها الذين امنوا تقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم اعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم وما يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما اما بعد the greatest thing that our beloved Prophet ﷺ left behind was a generation of people that had hearts that were completely transformed. Sayyidina Anas radiallahu anhu who served the Prophet ﷺ for 10 years. For 10 years, he said the day the Prophet arrived in Medina, because he was already living in Medina. He said the day the Prophet arrived in Medina was the brightest day the city had ever seen. And the day that he passed away وسلم, was the darkest day the city had ever seen. After his demise though, what was the main thing the Prophet had left behind? What was the main thing that he left behind? People. There's no question he left behind his blessed, sacred, beautiful masjid. But the way the Prophet treated that masjid was for that to be a means. That wasn't necessarily the end. It was a means to transform people. It was a means to transform an entire generation. And as a direct result of that transformation, from them being in the presence of the Prophet was, especially those who were in his presence often, that generation would go and transform the rest of the world. To the point that here we are today, here and now, on the other side of the world. Why are we coming to the Masjid on a Friday for Jum'ah prayer? This is what the Prophet taught us. This is what Allah and His Messenger taught us. His legacy continues until now and it will continue until the end of time. When Allah makes you a promise, Nothing else can compare to it. Allah (coughs) promised the Prophet in Mecca when things were extremely difficult, that we have exalted your remembrance. We have elevated your fame. The Prophet had a few dozen followers at the time. From the human eye perspective, a person, your average person may have thought at that time, how could that be possible? This person in Mecca going through persecution. His community is going through very difficult times. During the boycott, they were were eating leaves. They would go to sleep to the sound of babies crying because they had no food. Because their mothers could not produce milk. This is the one whose remembrance is going to be elevated. But that's from the limited human perspective. When Allah makes you a promise, that promise is bound to happen. It's more than guaranteed to happen. Allah promised the Prophet وَرَفَعْنَا لَكَ ذِكْرَكَ We have elevated your remembrance. What was the main thing the Prophet left behind? He left behind people whose hearts were filled with Iman, were filled with Taqwa whose limbs were filled with good actions, whose tongues were constantly in the remembrance of Allah. They were constantly in a state of dhikr. Not just with their words, but also with their hearts and with their limbs. A good example is Sayyidina Abu Bakr al-Siddiq an, after Fajr prayer, Fajr, not Aisha, Fajr prayer, the Prophet, he asks the congregation, who has given sadaqah today? Who's given charity today? After Fajr, can you imagine? Sayyidina Abu Bakr raises his hand. The Prophet said, who's visited a sick person today? After Fajr, who's visited a sick person today? Sayyidina Abu Bakr raises his hand. The Prophet mentioned a number of good deeds. And you have Sayyidina Abu Bakr raising his hand each time. Because it wasn't just about dhikr with the tongue for Abu Bakr as-Siddiq It was far more than that. It was transformative dhikr. It was the heart in connection with the tongue, in connection with the limbs. It wasn't just theory, it was also practice. The Prophet left behind a generation of people that were changed for the better, and then they would go and change the world for the better. What was the first project that the Prophet Started والسلام, that he established, that he made literally priority number one when he arrives in Medina after 13 years of challenges, difficulty, and persecution in Mecca. There had already been a group of companions that had migrated to Abyssinia, to East Africa. And many of them were still there. Just in case, in case things go wrong, there's there's a second location, and from there they can carry out the message of Islam to the rest of the world. It's very wise and strategic. What was the first thing the Prophet prioritized والسلام, when he arrives in Medina? Now he has authority. Now he's head of state. Not just in general, after over a decade of challenges. What did he prioritize above everything else before he even had his own home? Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He established the masjid. He established the masjid. He, he taught us something, that we need to prioritize the masjid More than anything else. It has to be a priority. It has to be in the same category. If you think of category number one, right, for priorities that we have financially, food, shelter, clothing, education, my kids, their college, their education, so on and so forth. The masjid has to be there in category number one. It wasn't just that the Prophet prioritized the building of the masjid. It wasn't just that he paid the orphans for the land, even though they wanted to give it to him out of love for him, knowing that he also was an orphan, Wasallam. he insisted, no, I'm paying you. He prioritized that project before he even had his own home. He was being hosted somewhere. He was not living in the streets. So he had a place to reside temporarily. And eventually, yes, he would have his home. His housing situation would be figured out. Right? Many people can relate to this. Somebody moves to a new city, a new state, a new country. Maybe they stay with a family member first. They stay with a friend first while they're looking for their own home. And then they eventually move out and they get their own place. The Prophet prioritized the building of the masjid, the house of Allah, before his own house. He's teaching us something. That this is not just something small. This is priority number one. Priority number one has to be the masjid. And why is it priority number one? Is that the end? No, it's a means. It's an extremely effective, important and pivotal means, especially for the youth, especially for coming generations. What was the response of Sayyidina Ibrahim when Allah told him that you have been promoted as an Imam, as a leader for mankind? His immediate response shows us why he was given that promotion in the first place. Allah just told him you have been made an imam for mankind after all the tests and trials that he passed, the tribulations that he overcame. So now he's graduating. And Allah is telling him, inni jahiluk nasi imama. His response shows us why Allah told him that in the first place. What about my progeny? What about my offspring? What about my kids and their kids and their kids and their kids? That was his immediate response. What was the immediate response when Sayyida Maryam, her mother gives birth to her? Her mother is holding this baby, Sayyida Maryam, and she had made a promise to Allah Azza wa Jal that this baby in my womb is going to be dedicated to your service. throughout his or her entire life. And she gives birth to this baby. And what was her immediate dua? Her immediate dua was asking Allah. Imagine, she's holding a baby. She's asking Allah to protect this baby and any offspring that come from this baby from shaitan. وَإِنِّي أُعِيذُهَا بِكَ وَذُرِّيَّتَهَا مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ Think about that. Think of the image. She's holding a baby asking Allah to protect the potential future babies of this baby. She's teaching us something. That it's not just about today, it's about tomorrow. It's not just about the kids today. What about their kids and their kids and their kids? This is a trademark of pious and righteous people. Allah mentions these four categories of people when we're constantly asking Allah, praying on a daily basis, on a constant basis, guide us down the straight path. Lead us by the hand, Ya Allah, down that straight path. I don't just want to know about the straight path, guide me down it step by step by step. Take me there. Take me by the hand and take me home take me down the straight path guide me down the straight path notice the nuance the dua is not ihdina ila al mustaqim guide us to the straight path that's understood and it's implied but ihdina al mustaqim when we're making this dua we're asking allah for far more intimate guidance than that it's not just as, like asking someone, how can I get to this destination? And they say, you know, go here, take a left, take a right, take a left, and you'll get there. That's one thing. It's another thing if they say, hop in, I'll take you there myself. When we're asking Allah, Mustaqim, that's what we're asking Allah. I want you to take me there. I don't just want guidance to know where to go. Lead me by the hand. This is what's embedded in this dua. Because if I'm led there by you by the hand directly, I cannot go astray. Ya Allah, guide me down the straight path, every step of the way. Ehdeen al-sirat al-mustaqim, al-ladina, and the path of those whom You have bestowed Your favor upon. And who are they? Allah tells us in Surah An-Nisa, and Nabiyin, the prophets, was the truthful, was the martyrs, was the righteous. A trademark of the righteous, a trademark of the shuhadat, a trademark of the truthful, a trademark of the prophets. There's constantly a deep concern about the next generation. There's constantly a deep concern about the kids, about the youth. Look at the example of Sayyidina Zakaria alayhi salam. He's very old. He's very high in age. His wife is also very up in age. But what is his deepest concern? he knows that he's old and his and his his you know his hair it's not black anymore it's changed color it's become gray and his wife is also old in age and But he still asks Allah, I'm so deeply concerned for those to come after me. I ask you for a child. I don't just want you to send someone to be a good example for the next generation. I am willing to put in the work and the effort. I am willing to grind myself, me and my wife, regardless of my age and her age, Give us this child and we'll take on that responsibility of raising him ourselves. Think of how difficult that must have been. It's difficult for somebody in their 20s to have a kid. Can you imagine? He's higher in age, his wife is higher in age, but he's so deeply concerned about the next generation. Ya Allah, give us that child. We'll put in the effort, we'll take on that responsibility. We'll put in that work because we care that much about the next generation, about the youth and then the next generation after that, after that, after that. We have to invest in our masjid today if we want to protect the deen of our youth both today and tomorrow. We have to invest in our masjid. We have to invest in our center. So I want to implore all of you to please remain seated for one or two minutes after the prayer for a brief fundraiser for this masjid for MCYC and make your intention that you're not just giving to support the masjid today, but you're giving because you want to keep it going until tomorrow and a perfect example of what it means to leave a legacy. Of course, the best example is the Prophet ﷺ. Look at someone who is inspired by the legacy the Prophet left behind, Fatima al-Fihriya. Someone right now may be wondering, who's Fatima al-Fihriya? Is that my cousin's neighbor? Is- who is this person? All of us should know this person by name. The first university established, not just in Morocco, not just in North Africa or the continent of Africa. The first university established in the world, in human history, was established by a Muslim woman, Fatima Al-Fihriya. Her, she was born and raised in Cairoan. The term caravan comes from Cairoan in Tunisia. Her father was a wealthy merchant, her family, they end up migrating to Fez in Morocco. Father passes away, she and her sister Maryam, they have this huge amount of inheritance. What was the main project that she started and funded herself? The first university in human history, established by a Muslim woman. This is our legacy. So what we need to do is we need to learn from that, and we need to plant seeds here and we need to invest where we are the believer should be a source of benefit wherever they go Alhamdulillah, qawni hada astaghfirullahi wa astaghfiruh innahu huwal ghafurur rahim alhamdulillahirabbil alamin wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in inna allaha wa mala'ikatahu yusalluna ala nabiyyi ayyuhalladhina amanu sallu alayhi wasallimu taslima sallallahu ala muhammad sallallahu alaihi wa sallam I want to conclude with one brief example of how important the masjid was to the Prophet and as important as it was it was 1B and 1A was the hearts of people I'll keep it short We all know the story of when the man, he came into the masjid of the Prophet and he was urinating in the back of the masjid This was a Bedouin man Look, when you're out in the middle of the desert with your flock If you gotta go, you gotta go You're with your animals, no one cares He didn't realize what he was doing was an atrocity. He was not intentionally desecrating the masjid, he was unintentionally doing it. So he walks in, he starts doing his thing, and think of how quickly the Prophet had to think. When the Sahaba see this, they want to jump the guy. They want to jump the guy. You're not just using the restroom, you're using the restroom not just in front of people, not just in the city of Medina. Imam Malik later on would often walk barefoot in Medina out of love for the city of the Prophet. Maybe my feet will walk where his feet walked. عليه It wasn't just that it was in Medina. In the masjid of the Prophet, you're urinating and in front of the Prophet. These were people who had already risked their lives multiple times defending the Prophet. Think of the love and attachment they had for him. They wanted to jump the guy. The Prophet is the one who says, no, let him finish. After he finishes, go and clean up. Pour some water, purify it. And the Prophet goes and talks to him. He says, "We we don't do this type of thing here. This is the house of Allah. We remember Allah here, we read Quran here, we pray here. But we don't do this type of thing here. And this man, he he notices the smile on the face of the Prophet the kindness in his face and his character And he also sees the faces of everybody else. And he responds, May Allah have mercy on me and Muhammad and nobody else. Forget y'all. May Allah have mercy on me. Think about it, the Prophet's correcting him, but the Prophet was so wise and kind, it increased his love for the Prophet. He didn't walk away angry, battered, and beaten, and bruised. Emotionally. The Prophet had this ability The Prophet communicates with him in that way. He responds in that way. And then the Prophet responds, don't take something vast and make it narrow. In that moment, and I'll conclude with this, as important as the Masjid was to the Prophet in that moment, he prioritized the protection and preservation of the heart of that man over his own masjid. The masjid was extremely important to the Prophet. But it was a means and what was the end goal to transform the hearts of people. And that's exactly what happened to that man. So for us, we need to invest in this masjid here and now today. Why? Why? Because it has to be a center where our kids feel comfortable to come. Where the youth feel comf- comfortable coming so they can feel confident as Muslims in America. You don't get that without having centers that are officially established. We have to invest in this message today. I implore all of you to please remain seated for one or two minutes after the prayer. We ask Allah to guide us and forgive us. We ask Allah to protect us and to protect our youth and all the coming generations until the end of time. We ask Allah to guide us and protect us. We ask Allah to fill our hearts with love for him and his messenger. We ask Allah to fill the hearts of our youth with love for Allah and His Messenger. We ask Allah to fill the hearts of our youth with noor and barakah, with light and blessing and hidayah and guidance. We ask Allah to guide us and to guide them. We ask Allah to help all of us to do what we can to serve this deen so long as we're alive. Because we're going to be questioned on the Day of Judgment about the blessings that we had. On that day, no one is going to care about their bank account. They're not going to care about gold, silver, house, car, whatever. The only thing that somebody is going to care about on that day is their heart and the condition of their deeds. We ask Allah to help us to invest in our relationship with Him here and now. We ask Allah to help us to prepare for that day. We ask Allah to help us to prepare now for that day. Then the Prophet promised us, ﷺ, that no group of believers of twelve thousand will be overcome due to a lack of number. Guaranteed, but we have to do our part to step up to the plate. May Allah help us to do so. رَبَنَا أَتِينَا فِدْنِي حَسَنَةً وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ حَسَنَةً وَكِنَاسَهَا بِنَارٍ رَبَنَا أَتِينَا مِلَّةً كَرَحْمَةً وَهِيَ لَنَا مِنْ أَمْرِنَا رَأَشَدَ وَمَا أُمِرُوا إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ مُقْلُصِينَ لَهُ دِينَ حُنَفَاءٍ وَيُقِيمُ الصَّلَاةَ وَيَتْقَى وَذَلِكَ دِينُ الْقَيْ